0: What comes to your mind when you think of the foster care system? Before 2020, I didn't think of it a whole lot, and if I did, I just pictured good people who I thought were really good Christians doing this big, brave, and scary thing, unthinkable things for kids, for strangers' kids. I would protect parts of myself and picture that the foster care system was a very far away, well-oiled machine, but... It's not far at all, and the machine is not running great, I promise. Foster children are in our churches and neighborhoods, schools, and communities, and I hope that by the end of this episode, you have a more clear understanding of that system as a whole, especially what foster parents can go through. It's hard to think about, I know. Children in neglectful or abusive situations, being separated from their families, moving around, searching for stability and a good home, all the while being very deserving of a safe and happy childhood. Today's episode is a hard listen. One interview broken into two parts that is covering a very heavy topic of what happens when the foster care system is drowning. Too many children, not enough social workers, little resources, and not strong enough legislation to protect anyone that's involved. Today, we share a story that shows the worst side of foster care, of when you take in a child, fall in love with them, make plans for forever, and then those plans change. Ashley and I want to thank AJ so much for sharing her story. AJ was instrumental in my own journey, always reminding me that nothing is permanent until it's permanent. Please proceed with caution and listen with discretion. Today's episode mentions drug abuse, trauma, And child molestation. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Undelivered. Good morning. We are a few days away from Christmas. It is cold outside. Saw on the news yesterday that central Mississippi very might, very could, very well could get snow on Christmas. So we'll see. I'm not crossing
1: my fingers. That would be
0: insane. That would be like, it's probably not going to happen. But (laughs) anywho. Good morning, everybody. We hope that you are safe and healthy and happy, whether you're in your car, at work, cleaning your house. Um, Today's conversation is going to be, I hope, good and informative and raw um, and emotional. So this is your last warning. I will give you a warning (laughs) in the intro. Proceed with caution. Um, Our guest is here with us today, um, a sweet, sweet woman who I've known for a long time. AJ, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny. I've never, I know what the A stands for. Elizabeth is spelled different with an A. What's the J stand for?
2: It's actually my middle name. It's Juan J-U-A-N-N-E-L-L. Oh, wow.
0: I did
1: not know that. <laughs> yeah, AJ is much easier to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. All, that's a lot. That's a long name. Did it yes, take it you is. a long time to learn to spell all that when you were a kid? When I
2: was a kid, yes. But then like in my professional life, people are like, what? How do you say your name? And I'm just like, I just let them call me whatever.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, Ashley, good morning. How are Hi. you? you about to be in the car for like a thousand hours I with am. your children.
1: I am. It's been crazy. I feel like <clears throat> all week really, but really last night it was like a McAllister moment, you know, on Home Alone, just chaos and like packing and there's food everywhere and everybody's running around. Um, I don't think another thing can fit in my car. Okay. But you know, that's why we got the minivan living that minivan life. I love it. I love it. That was a a never, almost a never have ever. Oh my (laughs) God. I have not finished my first cup of coffee clearly, but anyways, yeah, we are heading to Mississippi as soon as we finish finish this episode. It's all All good. All good. Good. All right. Well, um,
0: I am very excited to share AJ's story. Um, And it's been such a blessing to me, even though our stories turned out very different. She is a woman who will stick her hand out and help guide other women through the trenches of infertility, foster care, adoption, what have you. So um, we have a lot of questions and a lot of things to get through. But um, AJ, can you just start and tell us um what your family looks like a little bit and then how you and your husband registered to be foster parents?
2: Sure. Yeah. So um Corey and I uh have two biological children, Cadence and Carter. They're 12 and 10. Um we were uh blessed to have them. Cadence was actually my third pregnancy, um, and Carter was my f- fifth um, had two miscarriages before, um, I had her. The first one was, uh, really kind of rocked our world. We were newlyweds still in our first year of marriage and about 16 and a half weeks right after Christmas, um, had some of the worst times of my life in that, in that part, ended up having a chemical pregnancy, um, after that. And then, um, Cadence was, uh, born about three weeks early. Um, I had, uh, super, super bestness with her, but with the following one, after that, um, I ended up having, she was about two, I ended up having a, um, ectopic pregnancy that just about killed me. So yeah. it was terrible. I had one of those where, you know, your fallopian tube decides it doesn't want to be okay and stab you. <laughs> it's like one of those I'd go through natural labor all over again and, and, and not suffer through an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, it was wow. God awful. Um, And then Carter came along and um, rocked our world in a whole nother way. And um, Corey and I knew very early on, we were always called for a larger family. We were called for uh, serving other kids for whatever reason. We just were always drawn to those that needed love. Like we were just, you know, we were coaching um, after we graduated high school. Um, the flag team and the uh, uh, drumline for several years, and half of those kids became like our own kids, kind of deal. So they all remember Cadence and Carter growing up. um We actually had one of them uh, live with us for a little while. He was in a, a bad family situation and uh, had gotten a car wreck with another one of the other drumline um, boys, and um, needed help recovering and was in an, sort of an abusive area. So yeah. we took him in. Um, Sort of undocumented. We never did like go through the foster care system with with him. Um, We just had guardianship over him and uh, had him for almost a year and then he was ready to um, graduate and do his thing. And then uh, we had a, a cousin call us one time during the summer. Um, I don't know if you remember him, Bailey, but we had Jake, he was like, Hey, can we come and visit? You know, we had just had Carter. We're like, sure. We love family. We can come on over. And, um, so he stayed for a week or so and it was during the summer and, um, he ended up not leaving for another four years. So we, we took him in, um, he was not in the system either, but, uh, he, you know, he was him and, um. Uh, His family were going through some things and he just needed some stability. Um, But it was like night and day for him and and our house because uh, we ate dinner as a family and um, we decorated the Christmas tree together and Mm. did a lot of firsts with him that it was just sort of shocking for us. And um, it was during the time that we had him that we were like, no, we we know that we got a lot of love to give and we wanted to to share it around. He ended up... um, graduating and um and moving on we still talk to him um all the time great kid he means well ate so much food oh my gosh (laughs) um it was crazy having two toddlers and then a full-grown teenager who was like eating full-size jars of peanut butter and like all the things that you could buy at sam's it was crazy oh my gosh
1: what about jake uh, not jake the uh drumline do you drumline kid
2: Oh yeah, we very much see them. They're like some okay. of our closest friends now. Yeah, Aww. they there's so many of them that um we have been very blessed to be a part of their uh their transition into adulthood.
1: That's yeah. amazing.
2: Good stuff. They're um and they're They're all good kids. They're they're all they're all just, you know, they just want a safe space. Um mm-hmm. a couple of them will tell you, it and corey got me in trouble. <laughs> they would come to our house and one of them smell like cigarettes one day. And I was like, Mm-mm. I'm calling your mama. We are not doing this 15 years old. No, ma'am. I'm like, um. Oh my
0: goodness.
1: <laughs> He'll That's what you. they He's need like, though. Some tough yeah. love. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we were,
2: we, we were just, you know, there to help shape them and stuff. And, um, after when we first, when we still had Jake, we were going through the foster care. Um, uh, well, let me back up. So we, we actually had, when we first got Jake, we didn't intend to have him for as long as we did. We, you know, I told you he was just going to be visiting, and we ended up having um, guardianship over him when um, he was being enrolled in school. His mom was trying to get on her feet in a different county, and we were, you know, let us know and we'll do as much as we can, but he needs to be in school. So, um, but we had already decided that after that last, uh, ectopic pregnancy and, and miscarriage, I ended up having three surgeries within like three days. Mm. Um, had to get a couple of shots of, uh, a chemotherapy agent and it really, really knocked me down. Um, and Corey and I decided it, it, no more risking my life, you know, for children and, and things like that. And um, we decided on getting a, uh, a tubal. So I got my tubes tied, and uh, we didn't intend on having any more um, biological children. And then uh, we decided that we were going to go the adoption route and uh, add to our family that way. And so while we still had Jake, um, we were blessed to find a house that, um, a couple was selling, they were getting divorced. We've got, we got an awesome deal on it. It was, um, four bedroom with, um, a, uh, office slash nursery that we were going to turn it into. And, um, we had enough space for everybody to have their own space. And then I ended up having, you know, trade in my Ultima, got a Tahoe. And so all these things sort of lined up and it was like, Aww. it was such a God thing. We knew yeah. that being called to do it and it was like okay god you tell us how we're gonna go do this and when we thought about adoption we're looking at like man we could spend you know 20 g's on a down payment on a house or try to adopt and then maybe not get as successful we weren't sure so we're like all right which way do you want doors closed on the adoption side and all the doors opened on buying a house that was big enough and um, providing us with all the things and um, people thought that we were crazy We took all the classes and the moment that, you know, some of the small town gossip, you guys are taking parenting classes. And as if we didn't know how to parent, we were just seeking therapy for trying to parent our own. It's like, no, you've got to do these things in order to get um, licensed or resource family unit, right? Um, So we did it. And uh, like I said, all the things lined up. We just knew it was just a God thing for us to start the process. And um, it was fairly an easy thing to do. I mean, we did our home study. They had to come out and do our visits. They interviewed us. Um, We did the online training and the in-person training. Um, And it was all your basic things that you would, you know, you would talk about you know, why children end up in the foster care system, you know, physical neglect or abuse, um, sexual and all the other things that can happen, um, food, clothing and shelter, right? One of the things that they don't talk about is the uh, the nurturing environment. And uh, and I'll probably touch on more of that because that's probably part of our story. But um, getting licensed and starting the process was, was fairly easy. And it kind of made me think, okay, what, you know, what, what else is out there? Like, what else are we supposed to do? Like, what am I missing? Right.
1: Why isn't everybody Um,
2: doing it if it's this
1: easy? (laughs) Right. You know, it's one of those
2: things where we, we were in the position that we could do that. And we were, we were, were blessed enough to be able to, to get to that point. And, um, a lot of folks, I think in, in South Mississippi just are afraid to open their home or maybe they're just a little cautious or it's just one of those things where um, it's kind of uncharted territory for a lot of people and they're nervous about it. And I totally understand that because it's, it's the fear of the unknown. Like, what do you, you know, how, what's this going to look like? What's that going to look like? We were very open with our children about it. um, And we intended on adopting Jake at the same time we were going through this process um, and then, uh receiving the our first placement was actually right after Jake um had had left so yeah that's kind of the long story of how we actually You're, got started you've been a
0: busy woman <laughs> um so how many placements because the the plot twist to your story <clears throat> involves two young boys um mm-hmm. did you have any placements before them
2: no, they were actually our very first
0: and last placement. Mm-hmm. First and last.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. officially through the system, right? So we had we had three others: Jake and the other the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, they were our first official ones as a registered resource family.
0: Yeah, and I know you're a little limited on details that you can give, but can you just start mm-hmm. unpacking your story of? You have these two beautiful boys that were placed with you. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, all placements start off as temporary, right? This is just for right. a little while. Right. Um, yeah. How long did they end up staying with you? They were almost to the day, two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time for a child's life. Like that's the majority of a child's life. Yeah, it is.
1: What were their ages? Um,
0: well, uh when they first came,
2: the youngest was uh, just six months old, mm-hmm. and the oldest had just turned three.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, mm-hmm. so there's easy easy attachments for both mm-hmm. both parties.
2: You, well, you would you would think um, the older one, we later learned um, about a year into it that he was um, he was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I'm not. The reactive attachment disorder is something that, um, if you were to ask me, if there was anything that I could change about the current—well, I say current, current as of um, a few years ago—but the current knowledge of mm-hmm. and, or the basis of what we do in the foster care system, I think, is a little bit outdated. And the reason why I say that is because um, I think there's a lot more research and de- development um, for childhood trauma that's out there. And reactive attachment disorder is probably the number one thing, in my opinion, that um, that the foster care system needs to learn more about and have more specialists on. Because the uh, so there's the the attachment that a child develops when they're first born, that nurturing feeling is um something that you know we as mamas we we think that's a natural thing right because you have your baby you love one, you hold them you probably spoil them too much right a lot of us are like don't hold them all the time you're going to spoil them i say hold them all the time love them all the time love them hard that's what i always tell everybody mm-hmm. you get these babies in um love them hard because um, they need that. That's what they have. That that's it's actually a chemical thing in their brain. It's a neurological thing. When you build attachments and bonds, you feel safe. You feel secure. You're able to be independent. You're able to navigate change. Um, all kinds of things. Your flight or fight response or freeze is is totally uh, different. There's a whole uh, set of research that's out there, and I think there's a lot of untrained. Um, Uh, social workers that are currently operating in the foster care system that make real-life decisions about children they've never met, and they're ill-informed. They really should learn more about it. But basically what RAD is, reactive attachment disorder, is where a child is adverse to attachment because their attachments have been broken multiple times. And Mm. so the Mm. older one Um, we were his seventh home in three years. Um, seventh home he had went from, you know, so his, his, both boys have the same mom and they were the youngest of five. And, um, each of the five boys had different fathers. And so the older one, um, we were his seventh home. He had tried with his Bio mom, his bio dad went with his bio mom and stepdad again, ended up in I think two other foster homes. And then they tried with a grandparent or something of that nature. So when we first received them, we got the phone call for both of them. We're like, hey, we've got a little boy. He's he he's uh he's three um super sweet well behaved he's he's uh that you know they were doing a wellness check he was already they were already part of the system and his mom was working on um reunification which we were fully supportive of we went in knowing that reunification was the uh was the goal right and so um the older one had uh had a well well checkup that they were they were surprising them with um we went to every court session one of the court sessions they did hold up photos of the environment of what they found him in and there was paraphernalia on the coffee table that was maybe two feet off the floor so he you know definitely could tell that it was within his reach um and so heartbreaking is just man, I don't need, I don't know that I'll ever get over some of the things that I've seen and just part of it. Cause it, you don't, you know, your, your, your own household do you think is, is, is a safe space, but there are so many children out there that just don't have a safe space. They just need a safe space, right? They don't have, they don't have that. And you could clearly tell that he did not. And then to their surprise, when they got there, they realized that there was an infant and uh, he was six, six months old. Um, and, Uh, both of them were removed and needed immediate placement. So they called me back and said, Hey, wait, there's also a, uh, uh, a a child that's about six months old. I'm like, bring them on. Go ahead. We'll we'll Mm -hmm. be, it was like eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Y'all we had nothing we didn't have. I didn't have like, so I had the room set up and we had an extra bed and all these things. And, um, but we didn't know like what size clothes they would need or what, was you know, so this was like eight o'clock at night. The, The lady comes over, um, we tell uh, our children and we're like, Hey, you know, we're going to get a a couple of um, other kids. They're going to come and stay with us for a little bit. We're going to help, you know, take care of them. And they were all excited. Of course, they were very young. So they didn't really kind of understand all the things yet, but when they got there um, I'll never forget the smell and the look that they had, they had this very um, unclean smell and um, definitely smelled like cigarettes and came with a half a can of formula that the older one had played with and sort of dumped out all over the car seat in the back of the Mm -hmm. car and um so we had no formula they were covered in flea bites Mm. and that um I didn't realize it was flea bites at the time I was like man they I don't know if they have like chicken pox or something like something's happening right and so within the, within your first placement, you've got to, um, uh, within the placement, you've got to take them to the doctor to get a well checkup within like so many hours. Right. And so this being at eight o'clock at night, I was like, all right, I'm going to take them in the morning. And then we both understood that, Holy cow. Um, we, this, we're pretty sure that these are flea bites. And, and so, um, that night, whenever they came, the only thing that we had like nearby was the local dollar general.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So One on I every, every corner. Was like, <laughs>
2: I don't know. I think he's in like, you know, a uh, uh, a three month old outfit, right? Um, you know, go and hit up whatever you can, like get whatever you can. So he like ransacked the Dollar General and then came back and he's like, I'll go to Walmart after everybody goes to bed. You know, we'll figure that out. That's back whenever Walmart was open twenty four hours. So we're like we would cado in the middle of the night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so he so the older one, even though he was three, he was in um Corey had picked up an 18-month-old outfit, and that thing swallowed him whole. Oh, um, he wore the his very first outfit was, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely some play clothes, but it was like a little basketball outfit from, um, from Dollar General. It was like a nine-month-old shirt and, um, or excuse me, a 12-month-old shirt and a nine-month-old pair of shorts. We had to like put pieces together yes. to get them um and then uh the younger one he was in a zero to three month old um, outfit.
1: yeah okay. so
0: crazy, well, crazy before crazy. we
1: move on hold on i have i have a question i guess more of like a system question so the older child was already in the system mm-hmm. so it, there was another baby that nobody knew about. So it was like, if something happens to another child, I'm trying to like, is it okay? Hey, this mom is not really fit. We're going to put all of her kids in the system at the same time. Or does some, does a specific instance have to happen with a child for them to go in the system too? Like, why did nobody know about the, the infant? if the older was already in the system. Does that
2: No, you have some sense. legitimate questions. Because okay. that was
1: the same thing I was saying that night. Like how did nobody
2: know? Yeah. But but from what I gather based off of some some of the things that some of the workers had told me was that they were unaware that she was pregnant as she was going through some of and that was probably why she had more um she was she was having to take like drug tests and things like that at random. Sometimes she'd show up, sometimes she wouldn't. And I think she was putting forth best effort. And y'all, you the know, abuse in the in the system. I think they loved their children. I had no doubt in that. But the uh, the substance abuse, I think, just took over for her. And I don't know if it was maybe a smaller pregnancy, so maybe some of the folks didn't recognize. Or I, I was under the assumption. Based off what they told me, that there was some times where they they weren't able to get out to go and do their well visits as much as they wanted to because they had a very overworked, like a overloaded caseload, gotcha. and so they were trying to. And when they when they you know quote discovered that there was another baby there, I thought the same thing, and um, they later thought think that maybe every time they had to do anything, they to avoid having the little one be in the system. I think the grandmother was trying to um kind of take care of him, I say Eyes. with air quotes. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah, and kind of keep him out of the picture. So it's really about the environment that they're in. So if there would have been one or ten children in the same thing, all of them would have been removed um if they were minors.
0: And we then we hope. Yeah. We hope. Yeah. We hope. It's very we... hard to place like five children at one time. That is true. That's yes, a lot of work with that. one social worker. Yeah. So yeah. But tip- yes.
1: typically If there's like a family already in the system and another child is born into that, are they automatically like red flagged? Like we need to keep an eye on this or they're automatically put into the system too. I don't know that they're automatically put in the system, but I
2: don't know if there are any triggers built into the system that would actually warn them and keep them, which there should be if there isn't. Yeah there really should be. I don't know that there is. I do anyway, know that, that a question each...
1: for you to find. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the answer. Okay.
2: Yeah. Because so they're each, I know that each of the children had their own case. So okay. I had to go to court for one or show, we showed up to for court for one and there would be another session. They would try to do them together, but it really just depends because they had two different, um, bio fathers. And right. so, okay. that um, try tried to do it. Yeah, they try to address it by child, not necessarily by the parents or by the household. They, I think that's okay. how they, they keep it.
1: Okay. So you
0: have these two boys. They come to you at three and six months. Yes. And they stay for two years. Yes. So obviously we can, we know that they are no longer with you. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the, the, the final stretch? Because I think it's a no brainer, right? You and your husband and your two biological children, you take in these kids, you love them, you raise them, you nurse them back to health Mm -hmm. for the six month old. Certainly y'all were all he ever knew at that point. Yes. He had never been anywhere else, but. but Right. So. I'm. We could take this in so many different directions, but I want you to unpack with me because y'all AJ and her family had the rug absolutely torn out from underneath them and they were awarded something. The same thing that I talked about a few episodes ago, uh, what's called durable legal custody DLC sounds pretty permanent, right? Yeah, um, I would think yeah so aj take your time because i know this is where the story gets really Mm rough but unpack with us and i've explained dlc is like winning a battle not a war so you thought you won a battle you knew you still had a little bit to go and then your world broke Mm.
2: yeah we um we were granted uh we, we have uh, some adoption paperwork that came in. They told us to go find um, an attorney. Um, and so we were working on the uh, termination of parental rights for both children. And, um, and that really determined, it's, it's really determined on the biological parent, you know, giving them ample amount of time to get all their things together and whatever they were found you know, in Neglect 4, they were, you know, they give them a chance to fix it, rectify it, make sure that they're consistently clean if they were on any sort of drugs or alcohol, you know, if they were in and out of jail, which ours were, um, you know, there's, there's lots of things to consider, so it's not like a one-size-fits-all or like a robotic thing where you could just, okay, all right, you're good to go, you know, um, at the time that we were foster parents, there were two hundred and almost two hundred and fifty children in the foster care system, um, in Mississippi that I was aware of. Like, you know, you can go on and look at the stats and stuff. And um, wait, in the whole state or just in your counties? In in the in the uh, county. Well, in the county. Yeah the the, and what I mean by that is there are children placed in other county homes that were if they had availability. You know, so you may have a different county than what you actually lived Mm -hmm. in. So in our area. So I knew that our our one person, our one resource worker was, you know, really strapped. Right. Um, And uh, we we were attempting to go through the process as you know, you go to a court and they say, yep, we're, you know, we're, we're moving to change their plan from reunification to termination of parental rights. Um, based off of the lack of consistency or whatever what's happening with their biological parents. One of them, um, the younger one had um, sort of a a, more of a streamlined path to that because both of his biological parents were in jail. They were failing drug tests. They weren't really, um, you know, getting it together. We had scheduled visitations with them whenever they weren't in, um, uh, jail, and I can tell you that it was a little confusing to me whenever they stopped showing up. Um, and they finally showed up one more time, brought some gifts, and and said, "It looks like you're, you know, you're really taking care of them." I said, "Well, you know, we're we're loving them just like they're, You know, they're our own." And um, I think that was the time that they tried to say their goodbyes without really telling me. I, oh I got the like looking back on it, I realized that. They were like, okay, we know that they're okay and and they'll be okay, and you know I think they were just
1: it, it was, it was just, closure kind of.
2: I I that's how I how it felt for me afterwards, kind of looking back on this like, oh okay, I think that's I think that's where they were aiming that you know at that time because then they just stopped showing up altogether They never did come. Every time they did come, they would bring like. um, their toys, or this was his favorite ball, or this was his little goal thing, and and so we're like, oh, okay, thank you, and 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 it was a more and more, and so slowly but surely they were giving us all their things that they had there, and it's like, oh, okay. So when they stopped showing up, um, the TPR portion for the younger one, it was um, it was granted. He had never been in the system before. We were literally his his natural parents that was us. He knew nothing and he looked nothing like us. Right. Um, So if we were to go anywhere, you know, everybody makes comments. Oh, you got a lot of kids. And it's like the older one looked like he belonged to us biologically. And the younger one, I mean, you know, he was not anything close. Like I learned how to use sunscreen when it came to him because (laughs) um, he was so, he was so pale and just red hair and the cutest little thing. Right. My husband was, TPR,
1: persons. tell, tell yeah. everybody what that says for the termination of parental rights. And that's okay. basically
2: where the, the state says, you know, you're, um, no longer, uh, legally, uh, their parent. Um, and so since they both shared the, uh, the same biological mom, but had two different dads, it was almost like three separate TPR actions. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had to look at the older one's case and terminate his mom's rights um, for him. And then the younger one, the same thing each, each of the children had their own specific scenario that they had to do a TPR on.
1: So, but like if you, y'all wanted to adopt them, correct? When we were
2: told that, Hey, look, they're not, you know, we're looking to change the plan from reunification to, um, durable legal custody and foster to adopt. We, they were like, are you interested? And at that point we could have said, no, we only want to foster. We don't, you know, because a lot of foster parents just want to foster. They're not mm-hmm. looking to to do that. Um, and we were told, you know, we told them we're like, Yeah, we're we're game for that. We'll totally do that. You know, we we signed
1: up all the things, right? Um so but then if you decide to move forward, TPR is the end goal.
2: TPR has to happen in order in okay. order for that to all yeah. Right. Yeah, TPR has to happen. And that usually like you have a court session to to change the plan. And then 60 days later, they do an assessment. And then another 60 days, like it's, it takes a very long time. Um, When the older one came to us, they were already trying to change his plan from reunification to TPR because he had been taken so many times. Mm -hmm. And so we thought his TPR was going to be finalized before um, the younger one and ended up being the exact opposite because his biological father, the older one's biological father um, he had once had some drug charges in the past, had gotten his life together, was doing well in Hattiesburg, had came to, um, uh, a couple of court sessions with a lawyer and was trying to get his, um, his son back. And he agreed to, um, in the event that he was able to, um, gain custody of the older one he didn't have legal rights to the younger one even though they were half siblings so they weren't they there was a time where they were talking well would you be willing to um have a relationship or allow a relationship between the two brothers if he was to go and be reunified with his biological father and we were like absolutely right um we definitely wanted to make sure that they stayed um very close. To um together and so he was lobbying for that but you know i don't i don't know how all the other states are but i in my personal opinion um mississippi is a mama state right it's it's more of i think it's and most folks would probably agree with me that it's more difficult to determine a mom unfit than it is for a dad um because, uh, because of the, the nurture, the bond that the mom and the, and the child normally have, unless they are, you know, in jail or failing drug tests and things like that. I mean, it's to prove a mom unfit in Mississippi, it it takes literally an act of Congress.
1: I'm learning so much. And I I mean, I've learned (laughs) so much from just learning from, from Bailey, but this is, it's a whole new world. It's like a whole new lingo and it's so much to learn. So I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think you don't know what you don't know. And there are so many people that don't know any of this. Um, And
0: our kids, I say our kids, like Mm -hmm. the world, Christians, children, they need our help. Whether they do you, yeah i mean whether you get into it to adopt or you're pro reunification these kids no child deserves to grow up in a home where there's paraphernalia on the coffee table within their reach right or be covered in swarms of flea bites
1: i mean that's so sad how miserable
0: yeah it's it, the part for us though is
2: um I asked for help (laughs) and I probably shouldn't. Uh, I, um, because, because it was uncharted, you know, so it was uncharted territory for us. We didn't know what to expect. And all we ever heard was, Hey, if you guys need anything, you let us know, you know, they were supposed to come and do at least once a month, they would come in and do well visits. They were supposed to, um, that a lot of that didn't happen. Um, hardly ever. And we understood and not that it really concerned us. Um, but mainly because we were like, no, they're safe and healthy, happy. And we would talk to the social worker on the phone. And I think they were just trying to do what they could, you know, based on their, their workload. Social workers, y'all are just underpaid and overworked. And my goodness, we need a whole lot more of them. And um, it really sucks. It, it sucks for that, that side of the world. I, my heart goes out to all of them because it's a, it's a very thankless job sometimes um, that I can just tell from the outside looking in. Right. Um, but we didn't see a whole lot of them. And so I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm glad that that they can trust us because good Lord, if I, if we were a terrible, Foster home, then they would never know. You know, it would, like it was like one of those things where That's they don't scary. really, come. yeah, they don't That's really scary, come scary. as much. And you kind of hear about, you know, some terrible like thoughts. Children who survive foster care, a lot of times in their adulthood, they'll, you know, they'll give their testimony. And they're like, my foster parents were this; they were terrible, blah, blah blah. And it was like, man, how come nobody really caught that? And it was one of the things that was like, I can see why because there's so many needs and not enough people to meet those needs. You know. Um, on the social worker side of the house, they really are. I mean, they 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 work all hours and night. It's not like, you know, children only get phone calls at at you know all between right. eight and five, you know?
1: Um, okay. Hold on. Let's Okay. See y'all in a sec.
0: <laughs> so we do know that social workers are overworked, underpaid. It's a thankless job. They have a um, flawed
1: system to work with. I, think, complete, they, completely I think they truly, flawed system. They mean well and they want to do mm-hmm. good, but they, I'm sure their hands are tied a lot of the times in a different way. Yeah. Then y'all like yeah. y'all's are too. Yeah. So AJ,
0: you, we left off and said you made a mistake because you asked for help and mm-hmm. you and I, in our, previous conversations you have sort of beat yourself up i hope you don't anymore but you you think well maybe if i hadn't asked for so much help they would still be here there wouldn't have been so many red flags so what did you ask for and then how did that just sort of blow up the durable legal custody which again people think is permanent and it is not but okay that's a different yeah walk us through through
1: through what happened yeah
2: so um part of the reason why we asked for help is because um the first six months was like that honeymoon phase of um you know the 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 baby's still learning things um he ended up having uh fetal alcohol syndrome that we later learned about um, because he was, he was speech delayed. He had a couple of other things. Well, we, our, our son is uh, special needs. So we were already familiar with um, uh, delayed speech and, you know, being on the autism spectrum and all the things that kind of come along with um, delayed motor skills and stuff like that. So he was in therapy. Um, we were fighting to get uh, his occupational therapy and things like that. So I had y'all at one time i had a a one-year-old a three-year-old a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and three out of four were in in therapy wow um we had several i don't even i look back on i'm not even sure how we were functioning it's kind of crazy um but he he needed he needed specific sets of therapy that were totally separate from his older brother um the older brother for the first six months um, we were just amazed. He was so talented, um, super athletic. He was real, real short. Within the first year, you know, I told y'all he started out in like twelve uh, month old clothes. Within that first year, he we had he had more than doubled in size.
0: Oh wow! Um,
2: being, yeah, being in the foster care system, you have to every so often you have to be able to take them for well visits, and it's not just like a you know yearly checkup or things like that. When we started discovering things that were happening with him just some different behaviors. Um, you know, we, when you think about the way that you raise your children and you try to protect their little minds and, uh, things that they're not exposed to kind of like, um, you know, watching the cops come in and get your mom and, um, or being, uh, thrown in a closet, um, things that my my children had no, like I, as a parent, I couldn't even fathom. So I can't tell you how many times I just like balled in the floor with him. Mm-hmm. Um It heartbreaking is just not even the word it's, it's, it's beyond, it's a whole nother level. I, I put him down for a nap one time and um I had, the closet door was open. It was one of those trifold things. And he freaked out. I'm like, hey, you know what's wrong with? I'm trying to figure it out, and he was like, "Don't put me in there! Don't put me oh, in there!"
1: God,
0: mm.
2: I would never do that. Who would do? You know, like, and so like, I just there were so many times I literally like held him and cried with him. The younger one, all of it. I'm getting to a point, y'all. I promise. The younger <laughs> one, um, at six months old, y'all are gonna think I'm crazy. He would not let me hold him and rock him to sleep. I don't think you're crazy. And I like whenever that first that I'm like, well, he's, he's pushing off on me. He wouldn't go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe he's just not comfortable. I lay him down and he would go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, the next time we try to love one. And he would, he, I wouldn't, you know, would just try to pat his little butt. And he, mm. like, he didn't, he, no, none of it. He wouldn't, it took us. Oh, I remember the day I was sitting in his room. Um, he was 18 months old and I had my daughter come in and take a picture. He finally let me rock him to sleep. So literally 12 months for him to be able to trust me that he can soundly sleep in my arms, um, which is insane to me. This He spent the first six months um, apparently not, not being held or loved on in that manner. And so it was like just to take 12 months to sort of recoup that. Um, So it was a big deal for us. And I could tell that he was, he was almost into that, like not being attached kind of world. And we were able to break through that. Thank God. Um, But the older one at at that six month honeymoon phase, I referred to um, his behavior behaviors sort of shifted. Um, He asked me one day, Hey mommy, when am I going to get another room? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, where I I don't want this room anymore. I need another room. And I'm thinking, oh, did you want to like? Are you do you like this room or something? Are you want to be in another room? And with with foster children, you have to be very careful about where. Like they have to approve where they're going to be sleeping at night. They can be groomed together with their sibling, their biological sibling, or the f- ones that they came with. But they they kind of shy away from. um placing them in the, in a room with an, uh, like if, like with my biological child, right. Um, we would have to, so, so we put them in a room together to, for them to, to sleep in the same room together. And, um, I was a little confused about what he meant by that. And he said, well, I had another room before the one that you have here. And before that other room, I had this other room and Mm -hmm. I, I remember feeling like, holy crap, he's, Referring to the other houses that he's lived in. And so I'm like, well, buddy, I'm hoping that this will be the last room you ever have to have. Maybe, you know, well, um, maybe you'll be able to keep this room. And he's like, I don't want to keep this room. I want another room. I'm supposed to have another room. I'm not supposed to keep this same room. And I'm like, what? And at the time, I didn't know about reactive attachment disorder. I was thrown off by some of the things that he was telling me and so i didn't i didn't i don't think i mentioned that to the social worker immediately it was late and later on in conversation um other times he would um he would hit his little brother whenever he was sleeping and i you know kids are kids you know, toddlers are just wild in general. So a lot of times I was like, Oh, he's, you know, he's just a child. He's, he's a boy, you know, he's wild. He's, he's kind of rough around their edges anyways. And so I'm like, no, you know, soft touches. And he would say, well, my daddy wait, my mama like that. Oh, um, dear God. And you know, it would always be like these gut wrenching punches that I wouldn't be prepared for. And it was like, Oh, well, buddy, um, normally, uh, daddy shouldn't wake your mommy like that. Right. And he's like, well, my other mommy always got woke like that. And I'm like, Oh, so i like, you know, so, so we had to work on like random things like that. He would say, and I would have to explain to him, well, you know, that's not how you're supposed to be loved or whatever. um, I'll never forget the time that I was in the kitchen. I was washing dishes at the sink. Corey came along and he smacked me on my butt and gave mm. me a hug. And the other one, came, you know how that works. Oh, yeah. So the older one comes, like, he happened to see it and he flipped out on him. He ran up to him, started hitting him in his thigh. Aww. He was punching him. You don't hit my mama. And I'm, we're like, whoa, hold on. Like, hey, hang on. No, no. He loves me. He was just playing. And at that point we knew we're like, holy crap, we can't, we can't do that. He, because
1: he his brain it, doesn't understand.
2: Right. And so here I am, you know, just a couple of weeks earlier telling him, no, that's not the proper way for anyone right. to love you. We don't do those kind of things. And then Corey not take, you know, he's not thinking two things about it. Um, you know, being playful and, and he, you know, so for him, he just, it was one of the things where he just could not it was a uh, trigger. Yeah. It was very much a trigger. Yeah. And so those things sort of started happening more and more. And um he was he was starting to um in in his little mind was like survival mode, right? When a child has experienced a lot of childhood trauma, they their neurological makeup is is changed so some of the things that was happening for him was what i later learned to be survival mode but while we're in this new uncharted territory i never could figure out like like why why is this happening what you know so i was intrigued by it so i'm researching some things and i'm like okay well maybe i need to see about getting him therapy um so we did have someone that was um near that we could go to, uh, about childhood trauma. And so we went to a, uh, a licensed therapist. Um, I'd went through all the wickets of getting him, you know, referred and all the things. And so when we get there, she mentions reactive attachment disorder. And so I'm like, well, I've never heard of that. She gives me some resources and she's like, um, I'd like to work with him and just see if I could, you know, help him work through, like figure out his emotions, you know, through like some play therapy. Um, figure out his emotions and and how to handle you know certain things and maybe try to retrain some of the ways that he views life because reactive attachment disorder isn't just you know not wanting to hug people or or the extreme hugging everybody um it is more of like your view of the world has changed um because there hasn't been stability or because there's been a break in in your caregiver um in that role of your life, it's like they don't trust anybody. Um, they lash out and they get angry because they some children are kind of like a cat in a corner, like if they mm-hmm. like they go to battle if they feel like their snacks are gone, right? So we had to, you know we had four children, each of you know when we realized that food was a major major issue for him. Um, very early on, we got him a little bucket. We put his name on it and we're like, look, you can have all the snacks in here. These are just for you. No, one's going to touch them. He didn't trust us. Um, and at three years old, how do you, how do you know you don't trust somebody? Um, it's really a survival mood for him. And it's not like he said, I don't trust you. It was more so of, I would, I would come in there and, um, the pantry would be open and his little box would be missing and it would be like under his bed. So he was hoarding food. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Was,
2: which is common for foster children because yeah. a lot of them do without food. And so what do you do when you do without you? You try to save all the ones that you have. Right. And so slowly, but surely we were able to, you know, and I say slowly, literally over a year and a half, you know, we were, let's bring your box back in here. I promise you. And so because he needed to be reassured that no one was going to take his stuff. I got, everybody had their own bin. And they had their own, and and he had to hear me tell everybody, these are yours, these are his, these are hers, you know, no one touches anybody else's and these are the only ones. And it was, I mean, it was just snacks. It was just snacks. Food at the table, I had to, we had to, I had to make sure that I put his plate down first for the longest time because he thought I was going to forget to feed him too.
0: Oh, goodness. So um, how did the state react? You you finally go to them and you're like, hey, we need help. We need occupational yeah. therapy and play therapy and food therapy and all these things. At what point, so you have durable legal custody. Had you already been asking for help before durable legal custody or were you um, asking after? It was
2: after we had gotten the adoption paperwork on the younger one. We had just gotten the full medical or uh, psychiatric and medical report on the older one, and his TPR was still pending. So I didn't have um, full custody of him yet. It was the younger one that we had. And so um, when it came for his report to be included in the package to go up to be approved for um, cleared for adoption, um, I'd given them all the reports from the, you know, from the therapist and whatnot. And, um, part of her recommendation was that he did, uh, what they call like in-home therapy, but then they also do like a, uh, a, a resource out of the home therapy. Um, and when I mentioned earlier about not having enough, uh, resources and and on things like this, what I mean was the nearest, home therapy unit was in Colorado so what his his therapist had said is you know we would like to take you guys this was in the spring she's like you know this is what it would look like so I'm like hey I mean we can't uproot and go to Colorado and I'm not about to let him go by himself like what do we do and so she's she basically explained that um, for reactive attachment disorder they have um, they have a, a group setting where they explore their personal triggers and what, you know, and then help them work through it and then try to, you know, but it takes some time. So that what that would look like is that they go and spend a couple of weeks in this home, um, with the, the therapist and the the professionals that deal with rad. Um, and we would able, we were able to come there too, but we wouldn't sleep there with him because he was having night terrors and things. And it was mm-hmm. Oh, it was God awful. It was terrible. He was, he was, uh, there was a time where I was afraid that he was going to hurt himself or someone else. Um, and this was at four years old, but he, we would go for the, at that, at that, uh, therapy home during the day, we'd be able to have a scheduled thing like, you know, eight to five kind of deal. Like we'd be able to be there for the majority of the day And they would, the therapist would be there to work us through like dinner and, and all the things that could be triggers for him. And then he would have to stay there, um, a little bit longer. So we were willing to do that over the summer. We were just going to have, um, you know, as a family unit, go and do that kind of thing. And, um, I, every time I went to the therapist and got a report, every time I went to the psychiatrist or anytime we went anywhere. I was under the impression my job as a foster parent and my husband's job and our, our resource unit home was like, I've got to have full transparency with these boys because I don't want them assuming anything. So anytime we went to the doctor for a well visit, which was usually once a quarter, um, you know, we had things that they, milestones that they were trying to catch up on. I'd give them re- the report or I'd email it to them. Um, or like if there was another appointment that was coming up, I would just text my worker. We got four workers during that time, by the way. So the the continuity wasn't there. Um, we also had two different judges. Um, oh, that's right. Two different yeah, two different counties we were working with. So things like that were happening. But anytime I did take them and 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 we took them on therapy or we did certain things, um, I would shoot them an email or a text or a phone call, but I made sure it was documented. Right.
1: Um I, I would think that have, would be expected. That's
2: that's exactly what I thought. And I think it is. I think that's that is how it's supposed to work. The part that I think was was the turning point for us is whenever I asked for us for the state to accommodate the therapy um home. Um, I asked for them to process the paperwork for us to be able to be funded to go and do that because um obviously they had medicaid being in the system but it's it's one of those things that's very very expensive mm-hmm. um it's kind of like like a uh you know the same sort of thing that that a convalescent home would charge for their their patients and you know like a rehabilitation center would charge this was a therapy like a rehabilitation center for for children diagnosed with rad and it was thousands of dollars specialty
1: therapy Mm -hmm. not just yes yeah it's very
2: it was a specialty thing so trying to make a case for can we process the paperwork because the state could do it it just took a little while to to be done but um a lot of a lot of them were like well what's rad what is that like nobody really knew and i'm like well can we ask the supervisor does she have someone that's familiar with it so they could understand and they offered in I think it's in, in circle or home circle or something, something about, well, we can just have someone come to you and spend a couple of hours in your home. And I'm like, that, that should have already been happening. But at the time I was like, he he's, I have medical documentation that tells you he he needs more. Right. Like this is not
1: my idea. This is a medical professionals. Right. uh, Yeah.
2: His personal therapist is saying he has an extreme case of rad he needs this therapy plus he needs some emotional behavioral therapy and all the other things that are coming along with it at this point he had started physically abusing every one of us and um mm. and then he started sexually abusing his his little brother and that was oh, the point where shit. he had no idea what he was doing he thought yeah. it was normal. <sighs> um so then we were concerned about other levels and so Because I was super emotional about it, I sat down and I wrote a letter. I wrote a letter to him. At this time, his biological father was still trying to get custody. um, And he had passed all the drug tests, did all the things, went through all the wickets, checked all the boxes. um, And they had they were eventually they did not they denied him. But um, it was a part there was a time where Corey and I were like, we don't know what to do. Because there are three other children in the house that, you know, in, in rad therapy, they suggest that the child is in the home alone. So part of her report was that he be placed in a home by himself or with a much, much older sibling to where they can focus only on him and when i got that i was offended i was like well she knows that we have three other children i am not about to like we're about to fight like i'm not about to go down and say well yeah he should be he should be moved into a home by himself i was like absolutely not we're gonna figure this out like what is our other option so and is was that like, when your
0: red look. flag started going off like that when the therapist was saying most
2: rad children recover um they basically there's there's Research that supports that if they're in the home by themselves where they can be focused on 100 percent and they're not having to share that attention, then they can recover and, and create a safe attachment, you know, as time goes on. And so her recommendation was either go and do this therapy or have him um, in a home by him himself. And at that time, when his biological father was attempting to get um, legal custody of him i said well if 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 that's going to happen then it's, it should only be with him so my recommendation was well if he, if he has to move then it needs to be with his biological father who's passed all the checks and did all the things and i said other than that i need your help and and to my face it was we understand we're you know let's go ahead and figure out what we can do to get it done and um i will never forget the time i got, it was on a monday i was at work Um, the children were at daycare and I get a call about four o'clock and it was, Hey, miss Lee. Um, I just want to let you know, we, you know, we got your, your email and and the paperwork and stuff from, from the therapist from last week. And, um, you know, we're looking for a place for the older one. And so I was like, okay, did you find the color, like the, the Colorado location? She was like, no, no, no. I mean, like, um, we were we found a, a, a another foster home, and I'm like, well, that's not what I asked for. I I asked for your help to get him into this therapy so that he can rejoin our family in a safe and healthy way. Um, and at, at anything, if if he was not going to be able, he would still need therapy, right? But if he was not going to be able to be with us then at least let him be with his five father. And, um, she was like, well, no, no. You know, what you said was that his behaviors were erratic and unpredictable and he was having extreme night terrors, um, and, and, and stuff. And, and I said, well, yeah, that's, that's what's been happening. And so she was like, um, yeah, I talked to my supervisor and, um, she said you, you're just gonna you know we're, we're just gonna have to move him into it I said well then forget it no that's not you know and she said oh by the way what I'm what I'm what I also need to let you know she said um we're gonna have to take the younger one too because our the district um uh worker the I forgot what they called her she said that they need to be together they won't allow for them to be apart
1: even though at, well, this younger child is being sexually molested by the older brother who needs therapy. Yes.
2: Ugh. Don't know that they acknowledge that, though, even though I
1: I wrote it down for them. Um, did they, the, so did they not know that there was molestation going on for the older child when he was placed in the system? We
2: were never told that they were aware of it, but based on his actions oh for sure he was definitely yeah um yeah so he uh whenever they told me that and i was like how can you do that if we already have adoption paperwork on him like in the adoption paperwork it says you are now free and able to to basically accept the fact that he's going to be your child. Like he's going to be, um, you know, make your relationship permanent is what the paperwork said. Mm -hmm. And so we were, that was a wall that we were able to, able to tear down. Like, yes, finally, like we're making movement. And this was probably about that happened about five months before they were taken, um, from us. So we, you know, we were still on the journey to, to adopt the, uh, the older one. And they were waiting to finalize the adoption for both in a court session so we could do it together. Um, so we had all the sign paperwork. We were just gonna go stand in front of the judge and you know do all the things um, much later when whenever he, you know, whenever the older one was was free and clear, like like we needed him to be. So that was a Monday when we got that call. The next the next day, I was in shock. And I I thought, surely this was wrong. I could definitely...
1: Did you just start scrambling, like, panic mode?
2: I did. I started calling everybody I could. I called the... um, So there's a regional um, manager for the area, and they cover, like, so many different counties. I called their office, and they were like, well, you know, our policy is that the siblings stay together. And so if one has to go, the other one has to go. And I was like, well, neither one of them has to go. They were were just... um, provided with a new guardian ad litem so I reached out to her because I was like surely she's going to understand and she was like well Miss Lee whenever you say that you can no longer care for him and I was like hang on a second hold up i have my email and this is why i documented right i had i was like no ma'am i never said that we could no longer care for him. what i said was in order for us to provide the proper care for him i need him like based off the therapist and his his medical professionals he needs to go get this therapy and it was one of those things where I, that that i felt like my words were just twisted and i went back to my my letter and I was like there's no, like, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. And I even met with them and they didn't tell me that in person. And so it was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And they're supposed to give you 72 hours notice for a transition. At least that's what the rule was at the time. They gave me less than 24. They showed up in my house. Um, I had a caseworker that showed up that had been to my house maybe twice. I think that was her third time. Um, and a, uh, the supervisor who made the decision who had never once stepped foot in my house or been in my driveway. Um, the person that had been coming there was the adoption specialist. Cause you're assigned an adoption specialist, um, once they move it over to, to TPR, if that's the way that you're going with it. Right. So she had been doing the checks with us and, uh, had been seeing us on a, on a certain frequency. Um, my husband calls me. And he says, Hey, um, I'm not letting them in. Um, and I, oh my God, I had to, they call, let me back up. The caseworker calls and says, Hey, we're going to be there at four o'clock today. And I'm like, for what? She's like, can you go ahead and get their thing? I'm like, I'm at work. They're at daycare right now. Um, and and she was like, well, can you meet me there by five o'clock? Um, I was trying to get this done before I got off today
0: at five. Okay. So we're just going to move children when it's convenient for your work schedule. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm at work right now. What do you mean? I thought that we were, you know, we were aiming for another direction. She was like, no, you're going to have to just, you, you have to understand we've got to move both of them. And I was like, you don't need to move either one of them. You should be helping me get therapy for him. And, oh my God, y'all, I'll never forget. I had to hold it together as much as I could have humanly possibly hold it together, go into that daycare and check them out for the last time, knowing it was their last time. And all I could do at the moment that I got to them was like, I fell on the floor and I just, Like, I couldn't do it. I called Corey, and I was like, I can't do this. I can't come home. I can't. I cannot do it. And he was like, take whatever we have in savings and and go east or west. Don't tell me where you're (laughs) going. Like. Oh, my God. It was awful. So they beat me there. The social, like, the whole way home, I was. I couldn't even see, I had to pull over three times because I thought I was going to throw up. I'm like, this ain't happening. This can't happen. I'm like what in the world? What how, What did I go? I felt like I felt so guilty. I was like, what did I do wrong? Did I say something wrong? Did I do, what happened? You know, I asked my mom, I called my mom and her friend and I was like, can you please meet me at the house? Because I can't promise you that neither one of us are, are not going to go to jail. I'm worried about losing my other two children because my husband can't, you know, think straight right now they knocked on the door and he opened the door and I don't even know what he said to him. He said he slammed the door and told him that they were not allowed to come in. Like y'all aren't coming in here. So whenever I pulled up, they met me at the car and was like, you know, you can just leave him in the car seats and we'll just, you know, we'll just trans- transfer him. I was like, absolutely not. I was like, no, no, no. Not only are we going to have a conversation, but it's, you are coming here to take them. You're gonna allow me and my children to at least tell them bye. Like we're not. You ain't just like taking them without. Because not only did they inflict trauma on the two boys, but now I've got me, my husband, and my my other two children to like. This is a mess, you know.
1: Like and y'all, uh, y'all are willing to go to jail for these boys and yeah, like,
2: yeah, kidnap yeah.
1: them and peace out to
2: save yeah. them. Yeah, we were like, no, this is not happening, especially to go put him in another foster home, right. knowing, knowing what that is. Doing. And I'm sitting here trying to, and in- I am trying to educate them on what rad is. And they're inflicting it more. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like trying all to scream underwater. <laughs> yes. All the trust that I, that we had built up with him. Oh my God. Yo. Mm.
1: Awful.
0: Right. So it happened fast right like so fast they were gone in minutes yeah it was it was so fast
2: i t- I there was a time where <laughs> the old one really liked Corey's hat and um he didn't know what was happening he was like okay daddy i'll see you later and uh, and cory took his hat off and put it on him. <laughs> <laughs> he broke down he like fell the ground never seen never seen my husband be so broken he was so angry and just upset and like what in the world and we all we both knew that this could be avoided and I at this point was literally throwing up in my grass the little one was screaming for me and Corey was his person and so when Corey tried to put him in the car and he's like, What are you doing? We just got home. Like, why are we, you know, and he couldn't really speak as well. He gave him his drumsticks and he gave him he gave him a family picture to both of them. And like I just started throwing up. Couldn't help it. And the the social workers said We never once questioned the love that you have for them. We know that y'all love them. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And she said, the supervisor looked me in my eye and said to me, Miss Lee, you know, you, you, you know, you email and text and call a lot. Oh, Christ. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, communicate with you like I thought I was supposed to like what and she said she put her hand out and she she pointed to our house in our yard and she said why would it be fair for the little one to have this and not the older one and I said No one said that he couldn't have this. I'm asking him, I'm asking for your help for him to go to therapy. There wasn't like a permanent house for him in Colorado. It was a therapy, like a a time for him to spend some time there and then come back to us. We were willing to do that even after. Like you were willing
1: to uproot your entire family to to do this for him.
2: Yeah, we were, I was actually offered a job here in Virginia where I'm at now. And that was in that spring timeframe and uh, I was, I was going to take it um, then and we were going to have to move. But I told them that we were pending adoption and I asked if we could wait to, to do that after. So part of my adoption paperwork had said that you know, what our plans after adoption was, was for we would be moving to Virginia. And, um, and so my, the job here was willing to wait for us to finish it there. Um, and so we were, we had, we were making plans as a family of six. Um, and so when she said that to me, I was like, that's it, that that's what it is. Because I, I call and email and text a lot and, and, and I get punished. Like, this is, this is what I get. So he, they just go to another home i was like what are you gonna do in order to protect him from from his older brother that are doing these things like i had we had built in things in our home and i was like are you kidding me right now like you don't go and visit them now how are you like if you're gonna uproot and have them start all the way over with a like what i mean i had a million questions yeah that's that is like unfathomable it and and she had no explanation for me she's just said we will we will figure that out we will make sure he gets therapy and i'm like i'm sure you will sure sure
1: no. you'll make sure he gets therapy when that's what you've been asking for this whole time and it still hasn't happened yeah
2: and they left neither one of them um and they said we we understand this is probably hard for you and <laughs> I, I... what what gave that away Right, I mean, and I, was like, I I looked at her and I said, "Are are you a mom? Do you, do you have any children?" And she said, "No." And I looked at the other one. I said, "Are you a mom?" And she was like, "No, I live with mine." Okay, oh my you God. couldn't possibly couldn't possibly fathom the amount of trauma you just inflicted on my family, on all of us together, right? And she was like, "I understand." Okay, all right. They got in the car and they drove away. Y'all, my daughter. Chasing them down the road oh geez. like i had to chase after her because i didn't want her to go in the road but like she was chasing them down we had a white a white fence on a hill and she like chased them as far as she could and i'm chasing after her like i'm trying to hold I, like we were just oh my gosh grieving two children that are alive is such a weird thing um we didn't sleep or eat for weeks, for weeks, for months. I can't even tell you that like we threw ourselves into puzzles and we stayed inside of our house. Thankfully, I had a couple of folks that, you know, just <laughs> brought us food and stuff. We we couldn't even it was some of one of the things that was I'll never forget, like as a unit of four, which was weird. Um we we really, we ended up in therapy ourselves, like a family unit therapy. Like, you know, we were, it was one of the things where navigating loss for our biological children was very tough for us because we had never been through it ourselves. And then having to try to explain that to them as such a young mind, um, mm-hmm. and they don't understand it. And I, if you were to ask my kids now, carter we hang up their ornaments and carter asked if he can just go play with them he's like can we just play mama i just miss them I, that's my brothers and like he doesn't understand still that they 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 can't come back some of the hardest